Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 205, a joyous episode on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. It is an action-packed time in sports. We have NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, a little tennis, some golf. And you can get all the analysis of every play, prop, point at Bet Online. Updated odds from everything from live games to futures, all that good stuff you can find at Bet Online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to receive 50% on your money. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. With that said, episode 205 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. Yeah, yeah. Yo, Black, it's time. Word. Bird, it's timing. It's time, man. Alright, begin. Yeah. Straight out the f***ing dungeons of rap. But fake don't make it back. I don't know how to start. That's Rappers are monkey flipping with the funky rhythm. I be kicking, musician, inflicting composition. A pain, I'm like Scarface sniffing. Holding the M16. See, with the pen, I'm extreme. Now, bullet holes left in my peak holes. I'm suited up with street clothes. Hand me a nine and out defeat foes. Y'all know my steelo, with or without the airplay. I keep some E and J, sitting bent up in the stairway. Or either on a corner, betting grants with the CeeLo champs. Laughing at base heads, trying to sell some. Here we go, episode 205. Welcome back. It's yours truly. It's Aaron Tobin has ATH back in the saddle, back behind the mic. And it's a quick turnaround from episode 204 where we did a little playoff preview. But it is a late night Saturday night and your boy had to do it tonight because he is jazzed up. Absolutely jazzed up because the New York Knicks won game one in Cleveland, 101-97 absolutely wild. I did not anticipate them winning this game. But they got it done. It was a bit of a roller coaster in the fourth quarter. That 9-0 run that the Cavaliers took the lead late in the fourth quarter almost drove me to drink my sorrows away alone, solo, but we didn't have to do that. Josh Hart with a huge three-pointer to give them the lead. But yeah, what a win, what a win. And tonight was an awesome basketball night. I waited to record after the late game because the Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors played one of the most fun NBA games of the season. Sacramento winning 126-123. We're going to get into that game afterwards. The first two games of... Today's slate, the Nets Sixers, snoozer, Sixers demolished them, Celtics Hawks, snoozer, Celtics demolished them. Those series are going to suck anyway, so we're not even going to talk about those series because, quite frankly, they don't matter. The late night slate was really, really good, but let's start with my New York Knicks. I mean, what else is there to say about Jalen Brunson? And the Villanova boys, Josh Hart, we'll get to him in a second. Their tandem was fantastic. But what else is there to say about Jalen Brunson? You thought early on after he picked up 3,000 the first half, you're just like, well, this this is going to suck. 
this is going to suck because while Randall came out hot, made a couple of shots early, we'll get to Julius Randall in a second, he couldn't sustain it. I know he was rusty coming off the ankle injury. The turnovers were bad. We'll get to Julius Randle in a second. But when Brunson couldn't play most of the first half, you're like, are they going to have enough offense? Are, considering R.J. Barrett couldn't throw it in the ocean, Emmanuel quickly did not have his usual Emmanuel quickly game. I mean, the eight games before the playoffs, he was averaging like 27 points, just playing with unbelievable energy. Brunson was the only guy who can really get the Knicks into uh, a flowing offense. And even still, it was still too stagnant. Sometimes just him hunting his own shot. But he was tremendous. The Knicks go into halftime with a five-point lead. Their first two possessions of the second half were horrific. Two turnovers in a row. Tom Thibodeau calls a timeout a minute into the third quarter. And Donovan Mitchell started getting rolling. Looked like the Cavs were going to take the lead and and take a commanding lead. Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell were almost doing whatever they wanted. When they were doing the guard-guard pick and roll, they were getting every single shot that they wanted. Garland was frightening. And if Brunson doesn't outplay Garland... This series, the Knicks are going to have a tough time, but Garland was MIA in the fourth quarter. Didn't even attempt a shot or something. That was really weird. Mitchell was sensational. We'll get to the the Cavs in a second. But Jalen Brunson, in the third quarter, puts on a master class. Scored 12 points in the quarter. Just excellent. I mean, absolutely excellent. Anytime you thought the momentum was shifting, Jalen Brunson had an answer, and the Knicks were able to sustain a lead. And then in the fourth quarter... When things looked as dire as it gets, Brunson made big basket after big basket. Jalen Brunson, I said it on the last episode, you know, he's so much better than I thought he was. Going into the series, I thought you could make an argument that the Cavs had the two best players in the series in Mitchell, who's by far the best player in the series. He was sensational. We'll get to him in a second. And Darius Garland, who I still think is a better player than Brunson. But not by much. It's basically equal. Both guys are tremendous. Jalen Brunson was absolutely tremendous. And then what else can you say about the bench? We got to start with Josh Hart. Josh Hart made every big play for the New York Knicks. Josh Hart comes in the game and, and just mucks it up. He's 8 of 11 from the field, 17 points, 10 rebounds, tries hard on defense. Every sloppy play, it seemed like he was there to get a garbage basket for the Knicks. What else can you say about Josh Hart? That trade that they made, Cam Reddish, the future first round pick for Josh Hart, is such a slam dunk. I said it at the time, I'll say it again. Just such a a slam dunk for the New York Knicks. Just, he was so, so great. And shout out to Isaiah Hartenstein, who also was fantastic for the Knicks. Also gave them great minutes. Definitely outperformed Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson was a minus 15. I didn't even think Mitch played that bad. But Isaiah Hartenstein, eight points, five rebounds, a plus 19 
in the plus minus had a huge tip out for an offensive rebound at the end of the game late in the fourth quarter was awesome. Obi Toppin had a great stretch in the third quarter where he gave the Knicks energy where it looked like Randall was pretty lifeless. He gave the Knicks energy. I mean, the bench, the bench outscored Cleveland's bench 37-14. to 37-14. And you could have made a case that the bench should have played more with Toppin and Hartenstein. I mean, Josh Hart for sure. Because R.J. Barrett was dreadful. He's the turd in the punch pole that is this Knicks season. We'll get to him in a second. And even Emmanuel Quickly, who was really a no-show. Three points. Two assists. 0 for 5 from the field. But he was a plus 8. Good things happened when he was on the floor. The Knicks bench was absolutely tremendous. And I mentioned it before, but Josh Hart made the biggest shot of the game. 9-0 run by the Cavs. The Knicks are winning the entire game. They're scoring 26 points off of Cleveland's turnovers. And still, it's 93-92 Cavs late in the fourth quarter. Donovan Mitchell is going berserk. And with about five seconds left on a broken possession, Josh Hart gets to his stuff, hits a pull-up three, 93, 95-93 Knicks. What else can you say about Josh Hart? What else can you say? Absolutely tremendous. Hartenstein, tremendous. The Knicks bench, awesome. As for Julius Randle, he's coming back from injury. Got to cut him a little bit of slack. It was an up and down game. Early on, he looked like he was pacing the Knicks offensively, hit a couple of shots early. The turnovers were a disaster. The passing was a disaster. Save for about one or two Nice passes. He was throwing the ball all over the place. Had moments where you're just like, he's clearly forcing it right now. Clearly forcing it. You'd like a little less of that. But you got to give him credit. Last possession. Gets the offensive rebound. After Hartenstein had that huge tip out, Julius Randle gets another huge offensive rebound. Leads to two free throws by Quentin Grimes. Ball game, 101-97 New York Knicks win. Would I like Julius Randle to play better pick-and-roll defense when Donovan Mitchell comes off the screen and he's clearly going to go into his pull-up three to get all the way up, all the way up? Yes. Was he lackadaisical on that end for a couple of possessions? Yes, he was. For the most part, the Knicks played excellent defensively. I mean, no one else besides Donovan Mitchell really did anything. I mean, Garland, who had it going early and was getting good shots early, basically was missing in action in the fourth quarter. Didn't take a shot. But yeah, so up and down game from Randall. I would have liked to have seen Toppin play more minutes. He had that great stretch in the third. I don't know why Tibbs pulled him when he did, but 101-97 win for the New York Knicks. To take game one on the road is a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment. Tremendous accomplishment. We know the stats for the team that wins game one, wins the series a lot of the time. You know, vast majority of the time. And I didn't expect this. I didn't expect this. But every time Cleveland seemed to have made a run, and it was basically Donovan Mitchell making a run, the Knicks had an answer. And that's Josh Hart. 
with a hustle play and a, and a bucket. It's Jalen Brunson getting his own shot and a bucket. Randall making a couple of shots early. What a win. What a win. I, I, I clown on Thibodeau a lot. He, he's not my style, but his teams fight, man. They fight, and they scrap, and they claw, and I, I can at least respect that. An unbelievable win. Now, as I mentioned before, the turd in the punch bowl is R.J. Barrett. And I know Nick's Twitter is going to get up in arms like, why are you complaining about R.J. Barrett on a game where the Knicks won their first road game one playoff victory since 1999 why are we clowning on rj barrett i know he shot two of 12 one for five from three was a minus 13 seven points why are you clowning on rj barrett right now the reason why is because on the other side of the coin there's a guy by the name of donovan mitchell who scored 38 points on her head and almost single-handedly beat us tonight and the knicks could have had Donovan Mitchell if they traded R.J. Barrett. And there was a lot of Nick fans out there. A lot of Nick fans out there. I know I've done this rant time and time again, but it bears repeating. There were tons of Nick fans out there. R.J. Barrett's untradeable. Well, I want an apology from all of you idiots for telling me that he's untradeable. What does he do above average? What does he do average? Nothing. And he was dreadful. And the only reason we bring it up, and again, the only reason I bring it up is because what we could have had. Could you imagine this team with Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson doing things? Could you imagine? It could have been. It should have been. But again, we we shouldn't be harping on that, but it bears repeating because that's why Nick fans, like myself, are so up in arms about this Mitchell trade. Because look what he did last night. He didn't even shoot it great from three. But 14 for 30, 6 of 16 from three, which is not bad. And you look at the shots that he takes, and he makes some of the these tough shots. And it's just like, we could have had that. And instead, we have R.J. Barrett shooting 2 of 12, getting paid $30 million a year to do it. R.J.'s going to have a tough series. He's going to have a tough series. He really doesn't have a matchup on defense. He's not quick enough to stay with Garland. I know he tried, but he's not quick enough to stay with Garland. He can't guard Donovan Mitchell. That's going to be Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel quickly. And... Quickly needs to be better. I expect Quickly to rebound. He's been great for them all year, which is why I give him more slack than I give R.J. Barrett. Quickly's more important to the team. But it, it's just, it makes you makes you dream what could have been. But all in all, this is a tremendous night for the New York Knicks. A tremendous night. As for Cleveland, I just sang Donovan Mitchell's praises. He was awesome. Darius Garland, I don't know what happened to him in the fourth quarter. I don't know why they went away from the one-two pick and roll. Was getting them easy looks. I mean, he was 7 of 13. Like, it's not like he didn't have it going early. Like, why, why take your foot off the gas if you're gone? But thank goodness. You know, I want the Knicks to win. Even though I picked the Cavs in 7, I want the Knicks to win. 
Weird fourth quarter from Garland. And lastly, well, two last things. One, the Cleveland bench. I mean, I mentioned it before, being outscored 37-14. For all those who really like Karis LeVert, I mean, I don't know what you're looking at. He, he largely stinks. One for seven, a zero on defense. Three points, minus 14, absolutely got hunted. Where are you going for offense if Mitchell isn't going crazy and Garland doesn't have it? So the bench was dreadful. And the Knicks out-rebounding a team with Mobley and Jared Allen is, you know, the Knicks really pushed the Cavs around. The Cavs were a little soft, especially on the boards. That brings me to Evan Mobley. I know a lot of guys love Evan Mobley. I love Evan Mobley. But when you're throwing around the Kevin Garnett comparison, I think everybody needs to slow the hell down. Again, I think Mobley's awesome. I think he's going to be great. He's already great defensively. Let's not put Kevin Garnett's name out there in vain just like that because Garnett was a different beast. Garnett had way more skills offensively the minute he stepped into the league than Mobley does. It, it, they're they're just not they're just not in the same stratosphere. By year two, Garnett was already one of the twenty best players in the league, and by year three, he was already top top twelve. Let's just cool it there. So yeah, again, what a win for the New York Knicks! An absolutely stunning win. The Villanova boys stand the hell up. Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson. Way to take this game home. We're going to need more from IQ in this series, but I expect him to have it. And R.J. Barrett, well, he makes me nervous, and it wouldn't wouldn't sadden me if he was benched a lot. We'll see what happens with Randall, if he can play a little bit better. But this is a huge win. A huge, huge win. Because now you come back to the crib, you either get a split, and now you just got to take care of home court advantage, and it's all yours. As for the late night game last night, 126-123 Kings over the Warriors. The shot making in this game was absurd. Absolutely absurd. The Nick game was a little grinded out. You had crazy shot making from Donovan Mitchell, but for the most part it was grinded out. I mean, Brunson also put on a show, but the offensive wizardry in this game by Steph Curry, De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, was just insane. The back and forth was absolutely insane. And De'Aaron Fox is just a monster. He's a monster. Started off a little slow, was pacing himself, and then the third quarter had a huge third quarter. I think about 14 points in the third quarter. And then down the stretch in the fourth quarter, just ice. He's been ice all year And at the end of that game was ice again. And even when he missed that pull-up to put the game away, which led to the Andrew Wiggins corner three to tie the game, which I'm shocked he didn't make. I know he didn't shoot well from three-point land last night. He was one of seven from three. Excuse me, one of eight from three. Played well overall for his first game back. But what a game. And yes... Did I think Steph Curry's shot at the end of it was going to go in when it left his hands? Of course, because 
That's how awesome that game was. And honestly, we deserved overtime. That series is going to be great. I know I picked the Warriors to win. But I was not confident about it in my prediction last episode. And everybody who's saying that the Warriors are going to come back and win this series, like, definitively, they say it definitively, like, why? Why? They can't win on the road. Listen, and again, I picked them. But why can't Sacramento win this series? They had the most efficient offense in the league all year. They have the best fourth quarter closer in the league all year. Sabonis was a monster. I mean, he didn't really score much, but 16 rebounds. Just why can't Sacramento win? People are overlooking this Sacramento team, and it's weird to me because it is a fun team. I know they haven't been there before. I know this was their first playoff game since 2006 and the first time they were on ABC since 2007 but it's time to start respecting the Sacramento Kings it's time what a Saturday night of basketball different styles make different fights but both games were great in the late window of last night's slate both games were great in tonight's slate an awesome awesome slate of basketball I am jazzed up because I still can't believe the New York Knicks won. Anyway, with that said, we are going to bring on a recurring guest. We're going to talk a little Yankees baseball because we haven't spoken about them yet. And we're going to do a little New York hockey playoff preview that's coming up in a couple of days. We're going to get to him in just a matter of moments. So I teased in the monologue. Obviously, I'm very deep in NBA season right now. NHL playoffs, the locals. They're all in the playoffs, so we're going to be talking and monitoring Rangers hockey, maybe a little Islanders hockey as well. No one cares about the Devils, even though the Rangers are playing Devils, but no one cares. But but I did want to talk a little bit about the Yankees right now. Uh, So we have a recurring guest, Andrew Senders, back. What's good, bud? How you doing? Doing well. Really, really happy. My aisles are in, and they are not playing Boston, so really couldn't be more happy at the moment. We're gonna we're gonna talk about playoff hockey at the tail end. We're gonna talk about each series and how we're both feeling about it. Going into uh, Bruins are playing the uh, Hurricanes, and the Rangers have a local series against the Devils. But again, no one cares about the Devils. But anyway, first the New York Yankees, right? Obviously. It's a little early, but, you know, it's 16 games in, about three weeks in. Uh, Yankees are 10-6 and six to start. They've already played 10 home games. They're 6-4. and four. So let me ask you a question, right? H- how are we feeling this uh, early in the season? Uh, are there any causes for concern? Like, like take me through it right now. What, what, what are you feeling? Um, a little mixed emotions. I mean, you know, your, your top guys are – they're coming up big, you know, judges off to a good start. Cole's off to a good start. Nestor's off to a good start. Um, but you know, a lot of injuries and it just, it seems like it's not really getting any better. You know, we haven't really got anybody back and now we just lost Stan. So, you know, I'm a little concerned about it. You know, the team is not as strong as I think we probably thought it was at the beginning of the year as we look at it now, but you know, I, I'd imagine that the top guys will continue to play well because they look phenomenal and hopefully they can carry us a little bit through this 
dry spell, I guess that's probably going to come up. Probably not going to play as good as baseball they have so far. I mean, I was going to say they, they are playing, you know, 600 baseball. It, it's very hard to get mad at 600 baseball because if you play 600 baseball throughout the year, you're going to be in the mix and, and generally, you know, be considered on the short list for World Series contenders, even though with the new playoff format, it, it it's not the same, right? You just have to get in and get hot. It, it, it's it's different. Um, does the cause for concern stem from the fact that the Rays won their first 13 games? Is that giving it a little bit more under the microscope? Like, should we be freaking out about that? Or, or is it just like, or is there a general malaise to this team right now? Um, I mean, look, the, the team is good. Like, yeah, obviously, like you play 600, ba- 600 baseball. That's freaking amazing. Like, that's awesome. But I mean, with the Rays, like it's it's whatever. Like, yeah, they went off to a hot start. But I mean, if you really want to get crazy, you look at the yeah. standings. They're only four games up. I think it is four games up. Yeah, they haven't played anybody. But Yeah, that's also they've they've played hot garbage. So, like, I, I, you know, I can't start freaking out at all. And look, at the end of the day, the Rays are not as good as we like to think they are this year. They just aren't. They're going to slow down. And when we get healthy, we're going to be amazing. So I think just right now, we just need to continue to try to take. Look, I love that they're taking it series by series. Just try to win the series. And if you win every series, like you're playing phenomenal baseball. So just try to do as much as you can each series and then when it gets later in the season, then we could start worrying about what other teams are doing. But I feel like at the moment, like you really can't because it's not like we're 35 games in and they have a six game lead or a seven game lead. It's a four game lead, 16, 16, 17 games in like, it's really not, not enough for me to worry right now. And the Rays play a good team in Toronto and they lose two straight. So it's like, historically, historically, you know, coming out to a hot start like that, obviously, again, you know, what the Rays did was incredibly impressive. Like winning 13 straight games to start the season is incredibly impressive. But teams that come out super hot out the gate, you know, for the most part, generally don't sustain it and don't even end up winning their division anyway. So it's kind of, you know, baseball is that slow grind where you just have to maintain, you know, high levels of play throughout and it's almost better to avoid the peaks and valleys yeah no i mean for sure and look i mean the yankees last um last like five six years they've started under 500 through their first like 15 games every single year so you know you know you can't judge anything really i guess postseason wise now the only thing that i really like to look out early in the season is just how batters are seeing the baseball like you know the way rizzo has been playing and watching him see the game he looks like a different player. Like the guys has an on base percentage above 400 and he's just seeing pitches and like things like that to me are way more important than looking at it. You know, the standings, I guess at this point, because it really won't tell you much this early in the season. Well, let's talk about a certain player who going into the season, there was a, I, I guess a question mark. Was he going to make the major league roster? Was he going to spend time in the minors? That's Anthony Volpe, right? Shortstop, Anthony Volpe, not a lot of minor league at-bats. And, you know, right now he's hitting 191. He's got an on-base just over 300, slugging uh, 319. Um, An incredibly impressive spring. Won the competition. 
outright. Uh, Peraza did not play nearly as well in spring training. And the IKF thing, I think they really did not want to do that. I know Yankee fans did not want to do that. So obviously it's early and he's a young kid. What are you seeing out of Anthony Volpe right now? Uh, there's signs of encouragement, um, signs for concern. Obviously it wasn't, it wasn't going to be awesome immediately. Like how often does that happen for a kid that young with that few at-bats in the minors? What are you seeing right now with Volpe? Um, I, def- I think he's definitely seen the, the, um, the ball better at the plate. You know, his at-bats have gone progressively better the last couple of games. And look, at the end of the day, I know like this guy's a really, really highly rated prospect and yada, yada, yada. He hit over three something in the in spring. But look, the realistic like expectation for a kid like this is let's get him to 250, you know, a little above 250, have him an on base percentage above 350 and maybe hit 10 to 15 homers. You know, like if that if he can do that, that's a great that's a solid season. He's good with his glove and we've seen that so far. So Look, and he and look, he's an electric on the base path. Like he is do he's gonna steal 45 to 50 bases this year. So that in itself is awesome. So it will it will come to him as the season goes on. That batting average will go up. The on-base percentage will also steadily go up. But I mean, as of right now, he's look, as you said, he's had such little experience in you know in triple A or even double A. Like he's just hasn't played a lot. He's so young. Let him get used to the pitching, and he will definitely, you know, get used to this. And there's a lot of pressure on him, so I don't, I don't blame him for the, I guess, the quote-unquote slow start from him. I kind of like them hitting him lead off. It, it's kind of just like, you know, it, it's a badge of honor to hit lead off. Like it, it's a, it's a trust thing, and they're just like, you know what, we're trusting you. We're going to ride you through this. I, I I think it shows a great vote of confidence that somebody like him would definitely need. Um, what matters to me right now with him is just, is he able to play good defense up the middle, which it seems like he's able to do? And can you wreak havoc on the base pass when you get on there? Because to Major League Baseball's credit, right now, it seems like we're going through a new cycle where – Speed and athleticism is back in the game. I mean, obviously, the the rules change, the number of throws over, the uh, the size of the bases. They want exciting plays like stolen bases again. And I know the analytics kind of tried to take that out of the game, but now we're coming back around, which to me is a way more visually appealing game. Uh, so if he can wreak havoc on the base paths, that's what we want. Solid defense be a gap hitter and and we'll take it for there. I'm just curious to know, but you know, before we continue with the Yankees specifically, the changes to the the rules. You're you're a baseball guy, pro cons, what what do we think? Um I love all of it. I really do. I think the only thing and is I, look, the shift really bothers me, but then I also don't like that we now have an imaginary wall on a baseball field. I think that is a little crazy. I think it's also crazy to say you can't stand on the grass. Well, you know what? Sometimes when you have Giancarlo Stan hitting, you might want to give yourself an extra 30, you know, half a second or whatever it is to field the ball. And you might want to stand on the grass. I think that type of stuff is a little, a little, yeah, a little weird, but 
for the most part, you know, not having the shift is creating way more hits. It's way more exciting with the base stealing. I love it. And the pitch clock is awesome. Games are ending like two hours and 15 minutes. I think that is great. Baseball is one of those sports where if you have 162 games, every game cannot be four hours long. You know, like it just, it needed, this needed to happen. And so far, I think it's been great. I also love that, um, you know, that if you're, you know, being lazy in the batter's box or at the mound, you're going to, you know, you get penalized for that. I think that's great. I think they do need a, the thing with Cody Bellinger the other night in LA was a little weird. I don't like how they're penalizing guys for, you know, like if the, the fans are cheering for a player because he's coming back home to his former team and then he gets called for a violation because he's on the box. Like, come on, it's a standing ovation. Like let him get his second in, but I do love the rules. I think it's making the game way more visually appealing for, you know, for fans like us who are pretty much avid fans and for the casual fans. So I think that's great. The shift, I go back and forth on the shift because I feel like if teams are smart enough to put their defensive players in the right position based on trends, like you should be able to do that, right? Like we, we shouldn't be taking that out of it. But I, I also know that the three outcome style of play sucks. Like it sucks to watch. I, I, I'll say it flat out. And uh, part of the reason why the Yankees lose in the playoffs every year is because they seem to be a three outcome team. And, you know, hopefully with guys like Anthony Volpe and, uh, you know, wreaking havoc on the base pass and DJ LeMay, who getting back to being himself and being an average guy. And, you know, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but at least he'll be on base that it's not just relying on judge and Stanton to hit the, you know, ball out of the ballpark constantly that they'll actually manufacture hits and manufacture runs and it's not just the three outcome, um, you know, situation in terms of, you know, the, the way the game is played. So Garrett Cole today pitched a gem, complete game, no runs, 10 Ks. Uh, we said it last year that he was almost better than his numbers just because when, when he's not bad because he really wasn't bad, but it's just like when he gets a little – in trouble with the long ball and it happens to be that there may be you know one or two that he gives up a game or with two runner with one runner on um that the stats almost looked a little inflated like is this the year garrett cole actually comes through and wins the cy young a hundred percent i i you know what i think the pitch clock is serving him so well because he's the type of guy that you know when he's in a groove, he wants to move. He can't sit still. He's antsy. And, you know, you love that out of out of your starter. And um, when he's on the mound now, like you can see, like when he was just today, him and Trevi, they were just so in sync. And he's just throw a strike, get the ball back, throw a strike, get the ball back. It was it was amazing. And then even at the end of the game, you know, like there was never a time where he's like not he's like not, like saying no to a pitch call by Trevino. Like he's just going at it and like. I just think he looks he looks really confident this year. And I think it was because of a good start. He came out of the gates firing and look, he's got like what is it, like a sub one ERA already? Like I think he's just the swagger is back. I love that he went short hair. I think that's awesome. He looks like a boss on the mound. 
and you know he hoses down bananas. That guy loves his bananas. You see that clip today? Yeah, that was <laughs> that's like record time in terms of eating a banana. Crazy, <laughs> absolutely crazy. Yeah, I mean McClendon for Tampa Bay is also awesome, right? So I mean he he does have competition there, but I, I feel like it's been it's been budding that way for Cole. And I know Yankee fans were, were a little frustrated with him, but I think last year the playoff run proved that like this notion that he can't pitch in big games, it was one. It was, it was one, it, it was one game, you know? One yeah. It game. was, it was one, uh, it was one uh, wild card game where he, you know, didn't have it in Boston, whatever it happens, big freaking deal. But that guy is an absolute horse, and he's got to be in the mix. I mean, he's been in the mix the entire, you know, tenure he's been with the Yankees. It's just like, you know, he's gone through stretches where he just struggled a little bit, and and the numbers were uneven. But he's one of the two or three best pitchers in the league, so you have to assume that eventually he's going to break through. Um, Obviously, the rotation is a little shorthanded right now. Carlos Rodon hasn't pitched. Nestor's been solid so far. What are you seeing from the starting staff right now? Um, and uh, it seems like they're just holding it down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, look, Herman had that one, you know, shaky start. But other than that, he's looked pretty good. I mean, even with that bad start, he's at a three eight six, so that's awesome. And Nestor's doing his thing. Cole's obviously been incredible. And look, I mean, <clears throat> when it comes to Johnny Brito and Clark Schmidt, like, realistically, what do you expect? Like Johnny Brito, I have to say his stuff is disgusting. He's got awesome stuff, but young kid, you know, like we really can't expect too much from him. And Clark, it just seems like a failed Yankee prospect. Like, like a lot of them, you know, it just seems like he's got no confidence on the mound. And I mean, he too, he's got great stuff, but it just seems like he's got a lack of confidence, but look, like I said last year, I said that we I think we had the best rotation in baseball, you know, when, obviously when healthy. This year, I'll say it again, I still think we have the best rotation in baseball. When we are healthy, we will be amazing. And you know what? Frankie Montas, yeah, you lost him. I'd much rather have Domingo Herman because you know what? He has proven that he can pitch in New York. Frankie looked terrified to pitch in New York. And his away numbers outside of Oakland were horrible. So I really wasn't expecting too much from him. So... When we are when we're healthy, when we get Sevy and Rodon back, we, this rotation could be disgusting. What's the latest with Severino? <sighs> you hear one thing, you hear he could be back in two weeks, and then you hear he's a, a setback. You know, like I at this point, I've just accepted when he gets back, he'll be back, and that is it. Right, right. now, I got to think about the team and where it is. And realistically, it sucks that we have to say that, but like. You got to prepare for him to not be able to pitch in the postseason because this guy literally cannot stay healthy for the life of him. So, and look, it's it's really not that big of a deal. They've got four four guys, three three guys who can shove, and Herman who can give you innings, and other guys that can really give you innings. Look, Michael King could give you four innings if you really want him to. So, it's really not that big of an issue, you know, thinking playoff wise, but for the long run, yeah, it'd be nice to have him throw at least, you know, 15, 16 starts. The everyday players, the lineup. Um, one of the things that has jumped out to me that I, that I noticed really early that I was a major advocate for was that Oswaldo Cabrera is basically playing every day. 
doesn't matter what position he's playing, he's playing every day. Um, obviously, Harrison Bader is not back yet. He's going to man center field, so Judge won't be playing center field a lot. Um, what other things about the day-to-day lineup are you enjoying? Are you not enjoying? Uh, I, I do want to give a shout-out to Glaber Torres, who's on a nice little hot, you know, hot start to the season. Everybody, myself very much included, was looking to trade him. Um, sometimes we've even thought that he would be DFA'd. Um, what about the lineup card generally has, uh, you know, has, has stuck out to you? What, what are your, you know, high level, um, you know, points that you, that you see in terms of who's being trotted out there day in and day out, excluding Volpe, who we obviously talked uh, about a lot at the start. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. I love that as well. Those getting the time. Cause you know what? Kid deserves it. You know, I mean, a lot of people can argue and say the numbers aren't there, but this guy is a Swiss army knife. He can literally play anywhere and he brings a swagger that this energy he brings like, youthful you, energy. You, just, you need it. You know, like a lot of times, you know, I love DJ LeMayhew, but he is a absolute robot. You know, like there's zero emotion. And why do you think everyone falls in love with Rizzo? The guy shows emotion. He's walking around the base path, always putting his hands up. Like, you love that stuff, always banging on the dugout. So guys like Oswaldo, when he's young, he's he's a good player also. <laughs> he's He can really play in the major leagues. So I love that he's playing. One thing that is driving me absolutely insane, and I think you will definitely agree with me, is the fact that Aaron Hicks has appeared in 10 out of the 16 baseball games this year. Why? Is, is an absolute... Is it, is, it, is, it mere, is it a mere issue of... Bader's not back yet, and they kind of have an excuse to play Hicks because of guys being out. Because it seems like you could just put Waldo in the outfield. You could have Stanton play the outfield from time to time. Like we, you could have the young kid. I'm, I'm forgetting what his name is. Like uh, Frenchy. Uh, oh Frenchy Cordero. Cordero. Frenchy Cordero. Yep. You could play him. He's hit a couple of dingers already. Like, why are we doing this? You know what? It makes no freaking sense. And at this point, it's basically just incompetence. The Yankees, Brian Cashman is so obsessed with Aaron Hicks. And so is Boone. Well, that the two of them are the exact same person. But they're obsessed with they're obsessed with him. They think this guy has something in there. There is nothing. He sucks. He doesn't look. I was talking about this the other day. When you look at every single MLB baseball player, there's either they do a lot of things very, very, you know, above average, or they do one thing that is exceptional, right? Look at Aaron Hicks. What does he do that's above average? He he sees pitches fairly well. Fine. You know what his on base percentage is this year? A 174. A 174. So now he's way below average. So what does he do well? Why does he deserve a major league spot? And why does it maybe somebody like Esteban Florial not get the major league spot? Who's young, he's getting paid nothing, and he could be way more motivated. Look, Willie Calhoun's on the team. Maybe give him more reps. You know, why is Aaron Hicks in the lineup? It makes no sense to me that he's still playing baseball. The guy cannot hit a strike for the life of him. He needs I, he, he needs to go away. And especially given the spring training performances that he put on, like it's not like this is anything more than we're paying the guy about $10 million a year and we have to play him. But uh, for the New York Yankees, like what's $10 million? 
Who's more of a thorn in your side, Aaron Hicks or Josh Donaldson? I'll, I'm going to say Aaron Hicks, and it's I'm going to just I I can rant on this guy forever because he truly is the most frustrating baseball player I've ever seen in my life. You would think if you're not hitting well, if you can't get on base, you can't do all these things. At least play the field. Play the freaking field. The guy gets lost out there. The other day when that ball was dropped, and yes, it should not have been a challenge. That was some garbage. But it was a 60% chance catch. If you can't hit the freaking ball, you got to make those plays. When it's a 60% chance, I need you to make those plays. Or else, then you don't you don't get a spot. You don't deserve to play baseball. And look, Josh Donaldson is a phenomenal fielder. Yes, the bat has been really cold since coming to New York, but he's still really good in the field. And you know what? There's a presence. If you make a mistake to Josh Donaldson, he will probably hit it out. If you make a mistake to Aaron Hicks, he's going to cut right through it. So, look, I, I, I truthfully, there's no words to describe like why Aaron Hicks is still in the major leagues, but it, you know, it is what it is. Blue Jays or Rays, which team makes you more nervous? Definitely the, definitely the Rays, you know, the Blue Jays, they're, they're too cocky. The Rays, the one thing that I'll always give the Rays is they just put their head down and they play baseball. They don't talk. I mean, yes, Kevin Cash has gone into it, but it's different when a manager is talking and when the players talk. They have a bunch of dudes who just keep their head down and they play their brand of baseball. And you you have to respect that. And we always do. We always give respect to the Rays. But look, the Blue uh, Jays. By the way, I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement. The Rays, it doesn't even matter what name is on the back of the jersey. As long as that Rays or Devil Rays, whatever they want to call themselves these days, is in the front of the jersey, It, I, I'm always nervous about them. Yeah, no, for sure. And look, the Blue Jays, it just seems like a bunch of flashy young players who, A, crumble underneath pressure. Like when I remember when they came to the, it was, we, we, we went to Toronto or they came to the stadium last year at the end of the year. They needed to win big games and we won like three of four, like manhandled them. Like, and they were talking crap the entire time. Like, look, they're, they're not mentally tough. I don't think they could do it. And, yeah, they've got a lot of talent. That lineup is really, really dangerous, but I just I don't think they mentally can do it. I just don't think they can. Does the Astros slow start make you any less nervous about the Astros potentially down the line? Um, you know, the Astros, they're gonna figure it out. They're too good, you know. Pitching wise, they're amazing. They hit the ball, they do a lot of things well. They're gonna figure it out. And look, once again, like we mentioned before, the Yankees went off to such slow starts and they were winning 100 games. So it's it's look, it's hard because, you know, you obviously you want to get excited about baseball, but it's so early that like you can really just break down the small things. And the big picture, the Astros are going to be in the playoffs and they're probably going to win their division and we'll see them. That's all yeah, I can say. I, and I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> of course, because, you know, we're, we're heading towards another one of those years where they win 95, 96 games. They meet the Astros in the ALCS and they lose and we all get really frustrated. That That's what uh, that's generally where we've been the last couple of years, because it's been three out of four years. But hopefully, um, hopefully there's a little bit more youthful juice and uh, Carlos Rodon stays healthy and gets back and, and is a monster. So we're going to table the Yankees for a second. Obviously, we have all summer to talk about the Yankees. But playoff hockey is upon us starting tomorrow night. 
The Islanders are playing the Canes tomorrow night. The Rangers are playing the Devils starting Tuesday night. Of course, the Rangers and the Knicks are playing at the basically the exact same time. Awesome scheduling, guys. Fantastic. Really bang up job here. But let me ask you this. You avoided the big bad Bruins. How confident are you in this Islanders team going into a series against the Canes? I'm very confident because you know what? There's one thing, there's one variable <clears throat> that the Islanders have that the Canes don't have. It's a goalie. You're telling me you got a guy like Ilya Sorokin who genuinely is a solidified top three goalie in the league right now versus Freddie Anderson. That's in my head. That's everything I need to know. I think we can for sure win this series. Carolina is really fast, really physical, and they play really good defense. But got a guy, Freddie Anderson. You can put pucks past him. Look, the Islanders are notoriously lately have beaten teams where their goalies are weak, but the team is strong. I think they could do it again. I really think they can. I wanted to play the Hurricanes over the Devils. Personally, if I was a Rangers fan, you know, as a Rangers fan, I wanted to see the Hurricanes over the Devils for that exact reason. Um, I will say this. Oh, but you didn't put a number on it. Put a number on it. Scale 1 to 10. Scale 1 to 10 and confidence-wise, I'm going to say I'm at a 7. I'm, I'm, I'm confident. I, re- I feel really good, but at the same time, Carolina's a wagon. They just won the division for the third straight year. But I have a lot of confidence in my team, and we like to make some noise. We like to be underdogs. And we're the real underdog right now, so I'm, I'm pretty confident. I'll say seven. I feel really good about the Rangers. Feel really, really good about the Rangers. Uh, Shesterkin's finding his footing. Uh, Patrick Kane looks like he still has some, some juice left in the tank. Tarasenko hasn't gotten that to that, like, really hot stretch yet, like that spurt where he can just – you know, the proverbial bucket getter, uh, you know, as they would talk, say in, uh, you know, basketball lingo, just the guy who's just going to score goals. But Panarin is fantastic. Zibanejad is fantastic. If Shesterkin is 90% as good as he was last year, this team is deeper offensively. Uh, the defense is a little shaky, a little shaky, but... You know, Fox is still stud. I feel really good about the Rangers. Eight out of ten for me, Go, you know, going into this series against the Devils. Yeah, no, I I think for the Rangers, the key is getting past the Devils. I think if they can beat the Devils, I think they can win the whole thing. I, I re- Like, the, the Rangers are so well-rounded. and It hurts to say that, but they really are. And I think the key for them is um, is Ryan Lilgren. Big defenseman. I think he needs to. He just win. got hit in the face with a puck, though, not that long ago. So we got to yeah. make sure he's got to get back. But I, you know, I just think <clears throat> big defensive guys like that, you know, that those are the dudes that win you Stanley Cup. You know, they just do because you can have a really good offense, but it's all about defense in the in the in the in the uh, in the playoffs. So I think it's super important for like the back defensive guys to really like really step it up. And I mean, yeah, Shesterkin is just you know. Guy is also unbelievable. I'm interested to see the, you know, the kids line, like the Heedle, Kako, that that crew that 
obviously they're still super young. Uh, they've had their ups and downs early on in their careers. They're not necessarily the most physical guys, but have they matured a little bit? Have they gotten a little bit of scars over their first couple of years that now they're going to have a little bit more of an impact in the playoffs? I'm curious to see how that shakes out. But, I mean, the Rangers roster right now is is an absolutely loaded roster. And even though the Bruins won 63 games, which is absurd, I still think the Rangers can give them a run for their money. Yeah, a hundred. Look, you know what I even said today, and and it's not just me. Even analysts are saying that the Panthers have a legitimate shot at beating the Bruins. The Bruins are unbelievable, and what they did this year is something that we will probably never see again in the NHL. But they have flaws. They are not that deep. As much as people want to think they are, they are not. And it's why they lost to the Islanders. It's why they probably lost last year. I forget who they lost to, but they're not that deep offensively. That first line is amazing. There is no better first line. You know, you can't make an argument. The three of them, Bergeron, Marsh, and Pasternak is ridiculous. Power play is nuts. All their defensemen are amazing. But lines two and two through four offensively, not great. And you have a goalie that's never played. Charlie McAvoy before. is is. Freaking awesome. Oh, he, oh my God. McAvoy, Grizzlick. I mean, just Orlov. The defensive, they have seven guys that could start on any NHL team right now, which is just unheard of to have in a, in a playoffs. But look, I really, really think they have a problem with their depth scoring. And I think the Panthers, could, I, I think the Panthers are going to give them a run for their money. I really, really do. It's exciting time to be in New York right now. It's exciting time. I'm actually coming up next week and going to be there most of the summer. We've got Knicks. We've got the Rangers. We've got the Islanders. The Yankees are going to be in the mix. The Mets are going to be in the mix. It should be a good, you know, April, May. Well, we're almost done with April. May, June, hopefully July and August with the Yankees and the Mets. It's going to be an interesting, interesting time in New York sports. Andrew. It was great to catch up. Obviously, this was a little bit of a Yankees teaser episode. Once the NBA playoffs slow down a little bit, NHL playoffs slow down, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more. I'll be more uh, locked in, but it was good to get the teaser episode out of the way. It was good to talk to you, bud, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much for doing it, man. Thank you for it. Love it. Let's Later. go, Yanks. Let's go, Isles. Later. Thanks again to recurring guest Andrew Sender for coming on to talk a little Yankees baseball, a teaser Yankee baseball episode, talking a little New York playoff hockey, which is coming up soon. Excited for that. That's episode 205. Let's go, Knicks. Let's go, Rangers. Take us out now. I puzzle as I backtrack the earlier times. Nothing's equivalent to the New York state of mind. State of mind.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.